Welcome to So Many Bits. I am your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from my palatial one-bedroom apartment in Chicago, Illinois, is Chris Arneson. Chris, how are you? I'm doing all right, Bill. Thanks for having me on the show again, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I noticed you kind of looked around. Uh, you're judging the palatialness. Yeah. No, it's looks it's nice in here. Um, this is the only second time I've ever been here because I came here for your stream. That's right. Um, yeah, for yeah. Extra Life. Yeah. Which is really fun. And you have... Uh, I'm so nosy, so it's hard not to look around and want to like go through all your books and stuff, <laughs> and, your, and all your uh, Simpsons uh, memorabilia, and that sick ass Voltron Lego thing. Yeah, that rules. Yeah, yeah, my first cat's name was Voltron. He's still in Ohio. Um, oh, good. Okay, hey, he's I, I my old like... roommate. He's like 12 now, so he's a big boy. So, Chris, later on in this episode, uh, I'm going to be talking with Ryan Wiemeyer. Mm-hmm. who is currently working on the game Max Gentleman's Sexy Business, which is being made right here in Chicago. Has he made anything else? Yes, yeah. Uh, you might know he, he made another Max Gentleman game, but he also made Organ Trail. Oh, yeah. I know Organ Trail. Yeah, I love not, that game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he made that with a couple other peeps, and now he's on to uh, Max G, Sexy B. Max G, Sexy B? Yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch that to him as a yeah, new title. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like that a lot. That's a lot of fun to say. Uh, Max G Sexy B. Oh, yeah. Yeah, first off, we got to do some screen watching. Yeah. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? So for this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about the classic cartoon from Warner Brothers, Freakazoid. That's amazing. Uh, I have to go back and watch it. I have the first season on DVD, but um, I think they only released one and two, and then they stopped. Yeah, they, that, they had, a, I think, a major uh, shakeup caused by a certain uh, cartoon featuring lots of monsters that fit in your pocket that kind of shifted the direction of how uh, animation works in the United States. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, but for today, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 4, Virtual Freak. Original air date, November 2nd, 1996. That freaks me out. That freaks me out a lot. Uh, that that you could be uh, 23 now. That, that episode is 23 years old. That, I don't like that. Uh, so this episode uh, takes place in the yeah in the second season. Yeah. Had, at this point, like originally in season one, they had been more of a, like a it was Dexter Douglas, and then like he would turn into Freakazoid. Mm-hmm. But by this point, they'd abandoned that. They're just like he's Freakazoid all the time. He's just Freakazoid. <laughs> Poor Dexter, man. Yeah. So he's walking around the mall with his, or I guess technically Dexter's girlfriend, Steph, or just friend, I don't know, and then uh, Cosgrove, who is this uh, police captain or lieutenant. Yeah, I remember loving that guy. Voiced by Ed Asner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, yeah. He was great. He was always like, hey, Freakazoid, you want to go to the movies? And then he's just like, yeah, in the middle of him fighting crime, he'll just leave and do that. It's a good bit. Yeah, yeah. And so they're, they're going around, and they're shopping with Steph, but they see a virtual reality machine, mm-hmm. and they, they have to go and try it. I mean, 1996, I think anybody would feel the same way. Around that time, not exactly 96, but yeah. like maybe 98. 98, yeah. I did play a VR machine. It was Duke Nukem 3D. That's insane. It was in, in, in an amusement park. I paid like five bucks to play 10 minutes of Duke Nukem 3D in, in that kind of setup where it's like you're standing <laughs> oh in a God. ring yeah, with yeah. a headset on. You move around, and you had like a little analog joystick for one hand, and the other one was like a trigger to shoot. What year was this? This was I, – I think it was like 98. 98? Because I think – 96 is like when Duke Nukem came out. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I I guess I forget um, what that was like. We had like two arcades in my mall when I was in that in that in that era, that nine late nineties era. But they never had like virtual reality. I think like, we'd have to go to like Dis- I was in Florida, so we had to like go to Disney to, to do that stuff. And it was like yeah. the Aladdin's carpet ride uh, virtual reality game and stuff. And they was I got played it like, once. It was so clumsy um, <laughs> for that. The one thing that jumped out to me is why doesn't he ask Steph to play? Why would he ask like the like sixty year old man to play with him and not his uh, his friend? I think it's because Rikazoid is um, asexual, and I think he's just he considers Cosgrove to be a better friend for him. They're always doing stuff together, you know. Huh. Um, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. yeah. Does he ever hit on anybody? Uh he sometimes. Or does he like, make dirty jokes women? or anything? Like, Probably makes he- some dirty jokes. Like, Steph is attracted to Freakazoid. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean... He's got that long strike of lightning in his hair, so... And I guess, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Freakazoid's wearing a pretty tight costume, so mm-hmm. maybe he just is not built that way to, like, have desire that we would consider. Yeah. In the digital age, do you need biological desire? I think, I mean, we're already looking at the future of, of uh, how many people that don't have children. So, think about if you are able to induct a certain amount of people to live a second the second life you know virtu- virtually how many of them are going to want to have it's i think that would i think that would ruin birth rates even further in the meantime well while, while that we see the long-term impact of that though yeah, does she get a b story i guess she she does yeah okay. but it's like kind of in a reflex a reflex action based on the a story mm-hmm so uh, Cosgrove and Freakazoid get in the machine. Yeah. I think one of them is introduced as Mel Superfighter from Morton Grove. That's what it sounded like to me. Yeah. And they they uh, they start shooting things up. But earlier, the Lobe, voiced by Maurice LaMarche, had gone in there and sabotaged the machine. He, uh, <laughs> so he knew that they would be so excited about it, too, which is, yeah. which is a very, very good plan. And when he goes in there and does that, it swaps them into the game world mm-hmm. and pulls out the actual avatars from the game. And the ga- the avatars start running around, shooting stuff. Yeah. And they can't die. Yeah. They have, they have infinite lives. And then... Uh, but well, They get like 10 minutes, right? Is, it, is that what they did too? They, they don't do that in the episode, although that would have been pretty funny. It's like All they right. only paid for a certain amount of time, so, so then they just get swapped out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really good. Maybe they should have just... Yeah, that would have been a good add-on is like there's tension. It's like, oh, no, they only paid for like 30 minutes, and if the time goes off, then they're stuck there forever. Ooh, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, so, yeah, the, the B-plot for Steph is that she has to go and like fix the machine Yeah. while Freakazoid and Cosgrove try and figure their w- way out. They're like are trying a bunch of different things to sneak in or sneak out and they are yeah. feeling pretty hard. There's a a pretty good line in there by Cosgrove when he's talking to Freakazoid. He's like, you're not a failure. It's just that your ideas are silly and dumb. <laughs> that is a good line. He always has the best lines. And I feel like just Ed Asner has a great um, delivery for comedy. He does, yeah. yeah. He, like they, just, they give him the lines and he reads them. And meanwhile, the lobe is just like, wandering the mall and kind of like taking in the sights of like all the destruction and enjoying himself. He has another good line to, uh, I fiddled with the polygons or whatever. And now I'm off to buy a couch. I, man, I just, I love all the, uh, 
I love that guy being in the episode at all. I don't know why. I don't know how if it, if it became an accidental fan favorite thing or something. Like they just didn't really give him a lot to do. I just remember all his like one liners being like, just being hilarious. He's pretty good. Yeah, I think he's one of the, uh, if not the most like re- recurring villain in the series. Yeah, I-, I love the. There's another episode where it's the uh, the lobe is at uh, like a fancy restaurant while. Freakazoid and Slash Dexter are trying to go on a date with Steph. Yeah. And they do this entire parody of the song Hello Dolly called mm. Hello Loby. That's really good. You know, eventually Steph figures out how to get them out of the machine and they, uh, Freakazoid and Cosgrove escape and Freakazoid chases the Lobe and the pterodactyl they met in the VR around the mall. There's a point where, like, Freakazoid forgets the ending of the episode. He's like, wait, wait, I'm sorry. I <laughs> the end of the episode is he ran out of time, and they all get sucked back into the game, dude. That's come on. So they uh, they eventually get, get they trap the lobe and they stick him in the virtual reality machine. They stick the avatars back in. They stick the pterodactyl back in, and it's the lobe is like kind of rounding them up and taking charge of them. And that's where we basically leave the episode. Yeah. Uh, so Chris, you know, with all of these episodes that we discuss in screen watching, we rate them. On three categories. Those are accuracy, mm-hmm. condescension, and entertainment. And just like with any good video game, they are rated on a scale of 6 to 10. That six is the appropriate uh, video game yeah. scale. Yeah. Uh, so let's start I think, with... I think lower than a 6 doesn't exist. Never happened. Never happened. Way. Yeah, so for accuracy, uh, if you don't think it was accurate at all, give it a 6. If you think it was extremely accurate, give it a 10. So... Do I think it's accurate to real life? Like that... to an a- actual video game that existed. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they don't use, like, characters that are referenced from references to other, you know, they don't have, like, a Sonic or a Mario or anything in there. They have, like, a pterodactyl and some other rando characters. Um, I would think I would give it an 8 for accuracy, though. I think I, I'm good for them for not... Uh, for I, I would play that game you know mm. for sure if i could have, if i could have played that game especially in the 90s i've been all over it okay um even if i got trapped in there forever <laughs> so yeah for the for the accuracy i'm gonna give it an eight as well mm-hmm. i'm gonna give it bonus points because i it does remind me Wait, of the bonus actual, points well yeah i mean i'm i'm, give, I'm rating it <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. I, might like I thought you were adding up. on to your eight with no, bonus points. I was like, you can tell me there's bonus points, Bill. Then I would just rate it a nine or a ten uh, if I was giving it a bonus points. BPB over here, bonus points, Bill, just giving out random bonus points. That's me to a T, <laughs> BPB. Oh, that's good. I like that. Uh, but, yeah, it, it reminds me of an actual virtual reality experience I've had in my lifetime. Yeah. But also, it's not, to my knowledge, possible to extract the sprites and polygons from a game and make them run around and terrorize people in a mall. So I got to dock it for that. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with an eight. Eight, yeah. I think it's fair. So uh, condescension. Yeah. Uh, if you think it was not condescending to gamers at all, give it a mm-hmm. six. If you think it was extremely condescending to gamers, give it a ten. Wow, that's a different scale. I thought it would be the other way around. Um, I don't think it was. I don't. I, I think I give it a six. It didn't feel like, you know, it wasn't in that way. Like, like shows, like live shows, live action shows do. Uh, I think there's. I think there's more freedom for an animated thing to make it look exciting and fun instead of ridiculous. You know, or like how shows will sometimes use uh, real game 
systems, but like in an extremely like almost illiterate way, you know, like to to do the make the point they're trying to make. Right. Um like trying to use an Xbox as a phone or something. I don't know. Um <laughs> but yeah, I'd say 6. I don't know. Okay. I wasn't gonna, I didn't feel like starting a hate group uh over it or sending death threats to them, I guess. So 6 is 6 is not condescending, right? Right. That yeah. means you do not think it was yeah. condescending towards gamers at all. Yeah, I didn't want to inflict violence on anybody after watching it, so Good. Uh, yeah. I would give it a, a seven because I think that Uh-oh. Steph like looked down on gaming. Okay. Which you know that's kind of a very uh, stereotypical thing where like the girl just doesn't get gaming, which is a bit unfortunate in a different sense. But nevertheless, it's in the episode, so I do think there was some okay. condescension present. And then lastly, entertainment. If entertainment. you think this whole, just the episode in general mm-hmm. was entertaining, mm-hmm. give it a 10. If you don't think it was entertaining at all, give it a 6. I give it a 9. Um, it was my favorite Freakazoid episode, for sure. But um, I thought it was good. It was entertaining. I'd watch it. I'd recommend it. I'd recommend watching it. Especially that show. Yeah. And for anyone that grew up on Animaniacs or anything, then yeah, definitely watch Freakazoid. It's yeah, it's it's something very strange, mm-hmm. and it's not strange in the same way that modern cartoons are, but it does have some of that same DNA. Yeah, I would give the episode an eight. Not my favorite Freakazoid episode. Some funny parts, some of it dragged a bit. Like I think the kind of act two where they're stuck in the machine and the avatars are running around. It's a lot of like little gags with them trying to do like physical humor yeah which didn't really do it for me so I felt like uh when ghosts the ghosts get loose in the ghostbusters movies like when the city's flooded yeah. with ghosts and they're just it's just shot after shot after shot of a ghost scaring somebody or eating a hot dog or whatever and like there's because they're like trying to make it a violent video game yeah they're kind of limited in turn by what they can do with it they can't <laughs> really do the kind of stuff you would see like in a doom game which would be admittedly oh like a God. different cartoon but yeah like, that'd be a different be cartoon altogether yeah uh that'd be like an adult swim or something like <laughs> something like real freaky you know right, right. oh my god that <laughs> oh boy <laughs> yeah i can imagine that uh that'd be wild to like suddenly have a turn like that yeah. like second season of the second episode of the second season and freaking just gets violent he gets violently murdered. He gets sent to hell. Sent to hell. The cyber demon is going around like... Cutting him up. Like really gory, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that'd be terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be horrible. That'd be worse than stumbling on some Rule 34 of that. Um, uh, I don't know what would be worse. <laughs> <It's this. laughs> so, yeah. I, I think that brings this uh, screen watching segment to a close, Chris. Nice. Uh, we're going to go to break now. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, I will be talking with Ryan Wiemeyer about Max Gentleman, Sexy Business. All right. Tell Ryan I said hi. And we are back from break. I am joined in this palatial recording studio in an undisclosed location in Chicago, Illinois, by Ryan Wiemeyer. Ryan is joining us. He is the man who wears many hats, the uh, sole proprietor, owner, and operator of the Men Who Wear Many Hats company. Uh, he's worked on several games in the past, but today we're going to be talking with him about Max Gentleman, Sexy Business. <laughs> I was afraid you were going to take that seriously when I was like, business? <laughs> no, yeah, it's 
Max Gentleman, Sexy Business. That's the way you're supposed to say it. Gotcha, gotcha. There's, there's like a certain uh, dialect to apply to it. Yeah, yeah. Snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, or carnival barker. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, thank you very much for joining me to talk about this. But I think we should actually uh, step back a little bit. Sure. Talk about uh, where this began. Because th- there was actually a prior game called Simply Max Gentleman. And could you uh, describe for the listener how that came about? Uh, so Max Gentleman was like a three-month or maybe one-month game jam type game. And the idea was that we wanted to create uh, an arcade-style game for an actual arcade cabinet. There's a Indie City Arcade, uh, I think is what we called it, and it's just like an arcade that currently sits in um, Emporium, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was just like, you know, make a game that people could play, and I made it. Um, and it was really janky. Like, if you go there now, you can't even play two-player. Like, there's so many bugs. It's total trash, but... Um, People really liked it when the build worked, uh, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm kind of in between games. I want to make a small game, um, and so then I was like, I'll make this in three more months, and then a year later, I finished a uh, more polished uh, market version of the game called Max Gentleman, and it is, yeah, it's just a hat-stacking, extreme manners, Victorian simulator arcade game. Now, you mentioned that it, this was a shorter project for you because your previous project, Oregon Trail, uh, took many years, or some years, we'll say. So that that project is really fuzzy because that's the game that I went from, um, you know, like college student slash, uh, you know, like newbie professional. Because uh, I, I was working at Wide Load Games, which was a local studio at the time, which they're now gone because I got bought by Disney. That's a whole another story and rant. Uh, but... I basically made this like browser game with a with two other guys. It started doing really well, like lots of traffic, and we just wanted to make like free, accessible games, whatever. Um, long story short, uh, we decided to put it on phones. We did a Kickstarter. We were one of the first Kickstarter successes. Uh, then it did pretty well on phones, and so we decided to bring it to Steam. We were one of the first Steam Greenlight games. Uh, it did well on Steam, and so like. And then we decided to eventually, a few years later, to do uh, PlayStation because we wanted a console version. And for each major new iteration, we added like a huge uh, content, like DLC. So it's I've been working on it on and off for like five years and then usually work on some dumb, canceled, small project in between before I come back to my cash cow. Now, uh, Max Gentleman, it's, it was an arcade game. It was a hat stacking game. But one of the things that maybe helped set it apart was the flavor. It's got this Victorian era uh, feel to it. Yeah. So the, the original idea came from a spam email for Penis Pills entitled Max Gentleman. And I never read the email. I was just like, what is a Max Gentleman? And so the original impression I got was like, it was a gentleman, but like with a wrestler aesthetic, you know, just like over the top tattoos that say like queen and country and, you know, just completely ridiculous stuff like that and stacking way too many hats. Um, And yeah, we've kind of, I've been fleshing out that world for a long time as like prototypes, like other ideas. The original Max Gentleman game idea was just like a bunch of absurd mini games and and whatnot. But I realized a lot of it was just more like animation ideas, you know, like this would be a cute cartoon. So trying to figure out what worked for gameplay was a challenge. Um, But now that I've been making this dating sim, I've been fleshing out a completely different world than, than I, you know, first imagined what, like three or four years ago. Uh, Because all these characters now need to kind of exist 
in this Max Gentleman world and, and you go on dates and you talk to them and there's this whole business aspect and I'm trying to figure out like balancing the absurdity with some sort of reality because it needs to make sense. So yeah, I could go off and off and off about figuring out what this world is, but it's, yeah, it's basically just extreme gentlemen. Yeah. Like you were saying, like, this is the dating sim, your company's Kickstarter page. And it says Mm -hmm. for the official launch date, fuck it, we're making a dating sim. And that was, that was just your attitude. Like it was on your mind for a while. And this is like now or never with that idea. (sighs) I've, I've always been joking about it. I never really thought I could get away with it, I guess. And one of the reasons was uh, partially because my old business partner, I just knew he wouldn't be interested. Um, But every time a business partner leaves his company, I make a lot of money right afterwards. So uh, for instance, the original Oregon Trail, one of the guys who worked on it um, didn't want to port it to phones because he was done. He was done with it. And then when he left the company, I was like, you know what? Let's do that idea that we've been simmering on. And then, you know, it did really well. And so previous business partner left and was like, okay, no one can tell me no anymore. I'm going to do like a guilty pleasure. And so that's kind of why I started going into it. And again, you know, it's, it's another project where I was like, uh, you know, this will take maybe eight months. And now it's a little over a year and I've still got who knows how many months left. Like I would not ever dare say a release date because that's a trap, but at least six more months. Next question. What is the release date for Max Gentleman? <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, obviously a dating sim is all innately going to be moderately horny and mm-hmm. Max gentlemen, it better be horny to an, I mean, even the original Max gentlemen, like with the people flexing and their shirts bursting off oh, yeah. that, that was pretty horny as well. But oh yeah. This, I, I feel like sexy business is as people describe it, horny on main. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, I'm, it's weird because Man, that is, I have not thought about how to talk about all this yet, but I've had a huge struggle with the game, which is balancing gameplay and horny. You know, like, I can't just show you a dick every 10 minutes or a, a nipple or just, like, some lady's butt all the time. I'm trying to. I'm trying to find all the places I can, but that's incredibly content expensive for a one-man, essentially, team. You know, I have, like, a dozen contractors who've done a bunch of part-time work, but like, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's actually something I was wondering about because I recall you tweeted at one point, uh, people might really just be happy if we took all the Kickstarter money and made it into like a a smutty art book. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like a a part of the Kickstarter campaign to just like try and get a lot of eyeballs and kind of let people know that we're not afraid to do nudity. Um, because we want to do nudity, but like respectfully. Um, so we, you know, like everyone's kind of objectified at the same level, but then because of the dating elements, we're also trying to make it feel like this is like a consensual relationship you're building with another character, right? So this isn't like a lot of erotic games are very creepy, to put it blunt. And we're trying to figure out how to not be creepy, how to be erotic and fun in like a way that you're not super ashamed of to play. Um, you know, I know that right out the gate, if a game has nudity, people feel like kind of creepy. Like you wouldn't play it in the office or with someone else around. And our game doesn't ever like throw nudity at you without kind of your consent. Um, you can unlock 
pictures and costumes and erotic scenarios and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's like a balance of how often do you receive this? How do you receive it? How do I make it so the player is kind of an active participant in receiving it? You know, like for instance, if I want to play the game and I only want to pursue female characters and I'm very against seeing a naked man in any way, I need to make sure the player feels comfortable with that. Like they need to feel like they're not going to accidentally see a naked guy if they don't want to see a naked guy. Um, so that's been part of this whole balancing act on top of, you know, making a game, which is like the underlying mechanics of what you're doing. Right. There's also a management sim aspect mm-hmm. to this. Like the, the backstory you provide is like your character has been left penniless, but a mysterious benefactor is going to help try and get you back on your feet. And you have uh, both a, a male and a female assistant who are, who are very eligible or very available in the, as the game goes. Yes. There's a bit of a story framing which is just kind of like, you know, a rise back to being rich. Um, but ultimately it's, I've, I've, as I've been showing this game to people, everyone responds to the characters and the, the concept of even the story. Like very few people have played the story. I released a really quick demo for the Kickstarter uh, where I wrote all this like speed dating dialogue in like a night on like Red Bull and people seem to like it. Um, and now I have like a real good writer. So between the two of us, hopefully the content is better, but that's what people responded to. No one has said like, yeah, I can't wait to play a man- money management game. And I know that, uh, but also I haven't really marketed toward that audience cause I don't know how. Um, so at the end of the day, the management sim, I'm trying to make it kind of this lubricant, like something that doesn't get in the way, feels satisfying, numbers go up, you feel smart, you know, you're making progress and that needs to tie into the dating aspect as well and, and getting to know these characters and just this whole big machine. Now you brought on a writer and you brought on uh, artists by contract to cultivate the, the characters and the artwork. And I noticed that you even have like people who help by uh, offering cosplay basically of the characters. But you yourself, you're, you're a, a one-man band with the company. How do you uh, shift from being like, operating solo to bringing in a bunch of people under the tent when you're spinning up this game? Um, yeah, I mean, like, pretty early on, I'm just, I spend a lot of time on management. There's a lot of time I could receive an asset from someone, I do feedback, I, you know, integrate it on the pipeline. So, like, when I get art, I have to usually edit it down in Photoshop and put it in the game. When I get writing, I have to run it through the engine, make sure it builds and make all the edits myself. Um, on top of doing all the programming and all the design and all the man- like business side of it and all that jazz. Um, and I'm terrible at switching gears, honestly. Uh, that's been one of the biggest problems with this game is not having another person to kind of offload because my previous business partner was uh, doing a lot of the financials and doing a lot of the like high level or low level the advanced programming <laughs> and i've uh, i've had to pick up the slack um and it's yeah i mean it, it's rough it's a lot of work it's why it's taking you know a little while this game's not going to be huge at the end of the day for the consumer but like making 12 to 14 characters each with six costumes you know at like a pretty high quality they have to be designed they have to be concepted then designed and then like drawn production quality implemented into the pipeline then integrated into all the systems in the game you know and that's like one costume takes weeks and we've got like a hundred or something like that and so yeah it's just like keeping everything in my brain i'm like 
I'm always scatterbrained. You know, I don't really have a great system. I just kind of jump around and hit whatever is bothering me at any given time. Do you think the average gamer realizes the realities of Kickstarter and how like expensive it is to make a game? I'm I'm seeing some potential disagreement <laughs> there. Like I know there was that that uh, relatively famous that Skullgirls uh, Kickstarter, and then like some of the devs came out and explained, okay, this is how much it costs mm-hmm. to make a new character and animate that character. I don't even know these things. I've been doing this for ten years now, and I, I'm still shocked by how long things take, how much things cost like i feel like it's very hard to make a non indie game for less than several million or or even like a slightly large indie game for less than like a million dollars these days and and it's just it blows my mind cuz i grew up not with a lot of money so to me a thousand dollars is a lot of money so like now that i'm handling finances i don't know i look at the numbers and they mean nothing to me I'm like well it's above zero i'll just keep spending my money uh, and it's it's super weird. I I can't schedule things while looking at my giant spreadsheets and trying to figure out what everything costs and how long things will take. I forget everything on my own. So like I would not expect someone with no experience, not with their head in all those numbers, to have any concept of what it takes. And so, really, I guess to someone who who doesn't know, I would just say like, assume it's a lot of work. And and just like listen to trust and ask the developers, you know what it takes to to do something. We'll generally tell you, and the answer is always forever. How long does it take to make a character? Forever. You've talked about how you've experienced new challenges with this project. Uh, one thing maybe you are relatively experienced now with is Kickstarter. Do you feel like with oh, yeah. with that particular aspect that you're more of a veteran now that it comes more naturally, like knowing what needs to be done with that? Oh yeah, I can kick kickstarter's ass any day (laughs) down the street uh i've had three successful kickstarters every time i've successfully manipulated the platform to do exactly what i want the first time like i I always set the goal super low because a i have the benefit of never actually needing the money it's always like this will be nice and i will make extra content but the game will come out if we don't and that's the problem is games cost a lot of money this game at a minimum I'm already blowing past that minimum is going to cost at least a hundred thousand dollars to make the Kickstarter asked for 15 or 12 or eight. I don't remember what we asked for, but way less than we needed. Uh, we made about 30 K for, for Max gentlemen. Um, and that was exactly what I was aiming for. Honestly, I had like timed, uh, releases of content and, and marketing to like, uh, like YouTube and releasing the demo and, you know, I, I had it planned almost to the day, and it pretty much matched up. It actually went a little better than I planned. Um, but I, that, a lot of that just went from looking at similar games, uh, looking at what worked for them, and, and planning around that. And, yeah, it, I, you, doing your research matters. Do you feel like the uh, Kickstarter platform in general has changed over the past, uh, like, eight or so years, where it feels like now you have to be someone with credentials, with, in your case, you had a demo in hand of the game that someone coming to the platform with an idea is going to have trouble. Yeah, I think in the early days, it was uh, it was very Wild West. Consumers weren't wary enough. And they it still has a problem where a beautiful game, like a lot of good concept art, will make a ton of money versus someone who's making a game uh, that's not done. You know, if, 
I had to force a lot of finalized assets to the forefront just to sell it early, but the game is like nowhere near ready for that. Uh, so a lot of Kickstarter is just kind of like lying about what you want the game to look like eventually. I always tell people like if you if your game looks like it's not done, you can't put it on Kickstarter. And I yeah, again, I can go way off into tangents about all my Kickstarter advice, um, but the long and short of it is uh, fake it till you make it. Now, with uh, one example, actually, I was thinking of with uh, Kickstarter is Project... Do you recall a game called Project Rap Rabbit? It was uh, it was going to be done by the Parappa the Rapper mm, guy. I didn't know that one. And uh, what happened was they, they came in basically with just, this is what we'd like to do. If we can get this money, then we'll mm-hmm. take this money and go get more money. Oh, yeah. And that, and that it failed. I mean, I... I backed it because, like, I really like that creator yeah. down on Shaw, but... Yeah, I mean, as a backer, you just have to accept that, you know, you're you're buying an idea, not a product, right? And the ideas aren't going to flesh out all the time. I've canceled probably half the projects we've worked on in this studio. I've probably flushed at least a quarter million dollars down the hole by screwing up and making bad ideas and investing in a game and then realizing they're bad and dropping them. Um and that's like, I don't want to do a Kickstarter unless I know it's going to happen mm-hmm. uh, personally. Uh, but again, I'm in a place of privilege where I have uh, an established company. I have a company bank account. I have, uh, you know, peers and, and people I can hire and work with to achieve those things. And I think, yeah, I, I don't think Kickstarter is the place for you to come in fresh anymore. You mentioned earlier, well, we talked a little bit about your gaming background. With in, you have an extensive history in the indie gaming scene here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and you are uh, one of, if not the founders, of the Indie City Co-op here. Can you tell the listener a little bit about that? Yeah, so Indie City Co-op is um, just a co-working space on the north side. Um, basically, after uh, my first big indie game, Oregon Trail, started making money, and I had quit my job, I was like, okay, I need to be like around people because working out of your apartment sucks. Um, and so we bought like a little 900 square foot space probably five or six years ago. Um, and then a year later, two later, we upgraded to this one, which is like 1800 square feet. Um, we've got about 20 desks, usually around 15 or 16 uh, full-time indies and or part-time indies are here. Um, we've got a bunch of great studios, a lot of people I worked with before, a lot of people I went to college with and stuff like that. Um, and it's just a nice little space that at this point just kind of runs itself, you know, and it, it provides that sense of community that I think any creative really needs. One important question about this space in particular, you mentioned earlier that there is a zone specifically for playing Smash Brothers. Do you happen to have <laughs> a Smash Brothers main? Uh, yeah, Bowser. You know, when the, the Bowsette meme was mm-hmm. popping off, last year in the fall and that kind of lined up with the the kickstarter time of uh max gentleman's sexy business mm-hmm. we even considered like can we make like bowsette variations of our characters in in time like what happens when this character puts on the bowser crown we're like oh we don't have time for this <laughs> we already have like our marketing kind of pre-planned the, like there there is this brand now for for horniness and that really kind of bubbled that up yeah, I, I do. I really appreciate that um, the there are there's a rise of dating sim and or sexy games that are not creepy that are starting to make it a little more mainstream. So obviously, like 
Dream Daddy was like the big hit. Um, a few other titles like Monster Prom has been a big inspiration for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like Boyfriend. Um, and now we, you know, we ran a Kickstarter at the same time as uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, and you know their game is incredibly popular. Um, and it seems like I've, I keep saying that 2019 is the year of the dating sim, but that assumes that any of us actually put out our games, because uh, there's also there's like two or three other Chicago indies making dating sims as well. I think there's one that's either just finished up or is still in progress for like an office supplies dating sim where there's like mm-hmm. a, a personification of office supplies and you can date yeah, them. office type office type. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sexy business, still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, management sim. It is a dating sim. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this will be on Mac and PC or where, where can we expect to find it? Yeah, yeah. Right now it's just planned for Steam, which is Mac and PC. I assume Mac uh Again, the guy who did all the technical stuff is gone, so I'll have to figure that out. I think I just click a button in Unity. That's what you do, right? Uh, um, <laughs> yes. Probably, actually. I mean, I've been making... I'll figure it out. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just PC, and then, you know, like, it'll... Everything kind of takes the same uh, path for me, which is, like, if I like it, if it's doing well, if people respond to it, I keep supporting it. So, you know, if it does really good, maybe we'll think about other platforms, uh, or maybe we'll think about adding more content, or maybe we'll think about fixing the 300 bugs that launched with the game, stuff like that. Now, there's one final question I have for you. Sure. Uh, this is a question I ask of all of my guests because I feel like there's this uh, this shared bond of for like Pokemon, like we've got all the same collective consciousness. So, uh, if you could own one Pokemon as a pet, if you could be one Pokemon, and if you could eat one Pokemon, which would they be? I feel like because I have a Corgi, Eevee is like pretty close to a Corgi. And so I just, I'd have a Eevee as a pet. Um, I've always wanted what it'd be like to bite into a Jigglypuff mm, because I'm pretty sure that's just, a, it's, I think it's just a balloon. He, it looks like a marshmallow, but his description is the balloon Pokemon. So I think you'd bite into him and he'd just pop and it'd be horrible, but I want to know. Um and then, I don't know, let's say uh, for being, I'd be like Machoke because he looks like a Max Gentleman character. Is that the biggest one? What's the biggest one? I think um, Machoke is the second tier. Machamp is the four-armed. Okay, we're going to go with Machoke because four-arms is too many arms. Too many arms. And you can't say no to a lizard head. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ryan, where can we uh, find you on social media if people want to reach um, out? Yeah, I use uh, Twitter at Hats Productions. I don't tweet too often these days because um, I'm really like knee deep in development. Um, but we also have a Discord where I sometimes post updates about the game for anyone who might be interested. I don't know. If you browse around our Kickstarter, you'll find a link to the Discord. Um, but yeah, mostly just look on Twitter. Yeah, well, awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. that interview with ryan uh chris thank you very much for hanging out with me while that interview played yeah now uh before we go before we end this episode there is one minute that i must take uh it is a special minute Mm -hmm. it is an enchanted minute oh it is a bill's magic minute oh yeah so for this chris uh, as always i need to talk about one 
topic related to Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. This week, I'm going to be talking about the Mythic Invitational that's taking place at PAX East in a couple months. And for this Magic Minute, I need to determine how much time I have to talk. You have, oh, yeah. So I've got a a D20 here. I'm going to roll it three times, and that will determine how many seconds I get to talk about this topic. Two. Eight. Thirteen. So that's 23 seconds on this topic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Chris, just let me uh, let me know when you're ready. When? Well, let's get this going, then. All right. Okay, we're going to put it up right ready. now. The Mythic Invitational has been announced, and now we finally know most of the competitive field. I am pleased that we are seeing more representation by people of color and women, although I think that could still be improved. I do think that the last eight slots being determined by ELO rating is a horrible grind and seems kind of almost inhumane towards the players. Not cool. Whoop. You're done. I'm done. Nice. That was good. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm going to play Magic again. Yeah? Yeah. I I bought some packs, um, and I've been playing Arena. Oh, yeah. So Arena got me to buy the the physical stuff again. There you go. So that's how they get you. Oh, yep. (laughs) but it's been fun. I've been playing a sapling deck online, and I've been grinding pretty well up, into, up until this new expansion hit. And now I need new cards. That's that's how it goes a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be having you back on next week to talk about games we've been playing lately. Nice. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, if you want people to find you, like online or in person, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter uh, at at Chip Snackerson, um, and they can find me doing improv all across the city this month um, with my improv team, Chicago Breakfast. Uh, we are doing shows. This airs in February, right? Yeah, this is gonna start airing uh, to, on Monday, actually. On Monday, cool. So we got actually we have a show uh, on the twelfth. The 18th, the 19th, 25th, and the 26th at Laugh Out Loud Theater over on Lincoln. And we're doing Saturday shows at the Bug House pretty much all month um, as well. So, uh, and hopefully we're doing some more stuff. Uh, we just did a thing. At, we've been trying to do as much as possible at uh, Logan Square Improv, uh, which is a new theater over in Logan Square, which I, where I live. And uh, I love that theater. So, awesome. can't say enough, enough nice things about that place. So. Sounds great. So go see a show, even if I'm not in it. Because it's fun. <laughs> it's a fun thing to do. Uh, go support your local theater. Yeah. And uh, as for us, we can be reached by so many bits podcast at gmail.com email. Uh, Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube. We're streaming on Spotify as well. Wow. That's 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 big. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits. Uh, Wednesday nights are for Magic the Gathering, either Magic the Gathering Online or Magic the Gathering Arena. Let's uh, get on there and play you. Yeah, yeah, you can challenge me on there. Uh, I recently, actually last week, I was playing a Gates deck. Mm. It takes all the Ravnica Gates yeah, yeah. and puts them in a deck, and then you have uh, these guys that like get bigger if you have more Gates or gain you a bunch of life if you have a lot of Gates, stuff like that. look at those. Those sound fun. Yeah. I have and a bunch of those, I think. So it's a pretty cheap deck to put together, honestly. If yeah. you have that opportunity, I like those decks that are competitive. They're not, I don't know. Some people refer to them as jank decks, but I don't know. I don't think. I think if you have some like, a mythic in there, you can't call it really a jank deck. So yeah, that deck is too good to be considered jank. <laughs> yeah, it's no way. And uh, also on Thursdays we do uh, like a variety of different games. Oh. 
So uh, recently I've been playing through Super Mario Brothers 3 with my friend Die. On Love stream. game. Love that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll pick out some other stuff to try down the line. And uh, lastly, thank you very much for joining us for this podcast. Have a great summer. Yeah.